Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. I'm your host, Brian Nichols, associate editor over at the Libertarian Republic. The Brian Nichols Show is the latest and greatest podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network. If it's your first time joining the Brian Nichols Show, well, welcome. We're the fastest growing liberty podcast, reaching those all across the political spectrum. As host, my goal is to present the news you care about in an objective manner with the main goal to help educate, enlighten, and inform. As always, follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at B Nichols Liberty, and please feel free to subscribe to the Patreon at B Nichols Liberty to help me keep on producing this content that you enjoy. Any questions or comments, email me at thebriannicholsshow at gmail.com. Also, please share today's podcast with your friends and family to help us keep producing and promoting this message of liberty. And finally, please take a moment and raise on iTunes. Also, if you're interested in a Don't Hurt People, Don't Take People Stuff bumper sticker, send me an email at Show at gmail.com for more details. And today I am joined by Elias Atinza. Elias is a fourth year history major at Cali Paul San Luis Obisto, and he's the opinion writer for the school newspaper Mustang News. He interned at the Daily Caller News Foundation and YAS National Journalism Center over the summer, where he wrote primarily on politics and foreign policy. His writings have appeared at the Blaze Red Alert Politics section of Washington Examiner, Independent Journal Review, Daily Caller, The Libertarian Republic, and others. With that being said, Elias, welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, thanks, Brian, for having me. Absolutely, so. buddy. Thank you so much for uh, for taking some time here on a just absolutely brutally swelterling hot uh, summer day in it's August. It should be getting cooler finally, but unfortunately it's not. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're still here on the East Coast with me, correct? Yes. Uh, today's my, actually my last night in, uh, in D.C. I'm flying out to uh, California tomorrow. And, of course, the last day has to be, like, the hottest day and the most humid day here on the East Coast. Because, I mean, I'm in Philly, and uh, I know today it got to a heat index of, like, 106 with, like, I think it was 89% humidity with no rain. So uh, as, as a, uh, a Sasquatch of a human being in myself, I, I hated today, just just full disclosure. It wasn't too bad in D.C., but it was still you know, still pretty hot and still pretty up there. So I'm just glad to be going back to uh, sunny Southern California where there's no humidity. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you right now are quite literally in the swamp. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Well, let's speak about that because you, uh, I mean, obviously we, we mentioned that in the bio intro there, um, you had an opportunity to, to intern at the Daily Caller News Foundation. So, I mean, dude, that, that's a, a heck of an opportunity. And obviously you and I have worked together over at the Libertarian Republic and uh, to see you had this opportunity, um, you know, it, it makes me really happy because I get to see you, you know, expanding your horizon and getting the opportunity to join on these different ventures. So, I mean... If you could, just kind of give me a background. What was that like? What what, what did you experience? Um, did you get to go anywhere, check anything out? Um, you know, did you meet any fun new people? Give give us the behind the scenes scoop. So uh, there's some things I can't talk about because uh, of of uh, certain things I've, I've signed. But the Daily Caller is a is a is a really great place. Uh, very friendly people. Uh, very young crowd. You know, a lot of them are still in their late twenties, early thirties. You know, I was able to I was able to work with the investigative team on a lot of on a lot of on some of their stuff, such as uh, writing articles on uh, you know tariff data or writing articles about Kurdish independence. That I I wrote an article about Kurdish independence that I did my my entire self. Uh, I, I want to do a quick plug for uh, National Journalism Center. Uh, they're uh, they're a really great organization. If, and if you're a conservative, libertarian, independent, liberal, no matter what, if you want to be a a good 
fat, you know, a good journalist who's looking to uh, present the facts in a non-biased way, in an objective way, uh, and you're and you're a college student, I would college student or recent college grad, I would uh, I would recommend uh, applying to uh, to to the National Journalism Center. It's a project of, it's as you said in your intro, it's a product of Young Americans for Freedoms, uh, Young Americans for Freedom. It's a really great program, and I recommend it for anyone. Awesome, and um, I mean, I I think it's it's always one thing for people in the the libertarian camps. They hear anything related to any form of you know conservative uh, leaning media or, or conservative leaning politics, and they kind of you know they cringe a little bit. But uh, you know, you as a libertarian going to work for the Daily Caller there this past summer, what was your experience as a as a self proclaimed libertarian? Uh, you know, working in a conservative organization. You know. Uh... Conservatives tend to be more accepting of libertarians, uh, <laughs> more than more than liberals. To, to be quite honest with you, uh, mostly because we we tend to align a lot. You know, not not entirely perfectly, but we tend to align on economic issues. It's uh, social issues it's most of the time that we tend to differ on, whether it's the war on drugs or immigration or other or other factors. But conservatives, you know, they they love to, to they love to rile libertarians around, and we love to rile conservatives around. And it's a it's a good working relationship. And it was fun working there, uh, you know, with a bunch of other young young conservatives. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, it from my being your friend on Facebook and seeing some of the pictures you posted and stuff, and and just the the opportunity you were able to have, I, I just think it's an absolutely phenomenal experience for you. And you know, kudos to you, going to be able to to have a nice little addition to the resume going forward. So, um, you know, congrats, man. That's that's pretty awesome. But uh, let's uh, let's let's kick things off here. So. Uh, Brian Nichols show for those of you who are joining for the first time uh, the real goal of the show I mentioned in the intro is to educate enlighten and inform uh, as we discuss topical issues that are happening that maybe is being overlooked by the mainstream media now if you're in libertarian conservative circles you probably have heard some of the things we're talking about um, now Elias already teased a little bit where we are going to talk about the uh, the Kurdish independence movement um, but first uh, in some quote-unquote breaking news from earlier this week uh, Governor Gary Johnson, he's running for U.S. Senate in the great state of New Mexico. And uh, for those of you who aren't aware, um, if you've been living under a rock for the past th few years, uh, Gary Johnson was the Libertarian uh, presidential nominee back in 2016. So Gary Johnson, he decided to run uh, as a Libertarian for the Senate seat in New Mexico. And uh, he's actually already polling ahead of his Republican uh, counterpart uh, by double digits, which is a pretty big deal. And... I, it's it's actually getting a lot of traction because um, and it's getting a lot of visibility uh, because we see a guy, in, a current sitting senator in United States Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, who goes out of his way, uh, breaks the the partisan line and decides to support his principles and actually goes ahead and endorses uh, Governor Gary Johnson. So that's the first time that a sitting U.S. senator has ever endorsed a third-party candidate in a federal election like this. So, Elias, you, you've been in libertarian circles for quite a while, and I know you have some, some you know, behind-the-scenes info. Can you kind of give us your perspective and, and maybe some information as to what led up to this? So, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't know why Rand, well, I do know why Rand decided to endorse Gary Johnson. It's because the two, as much as, uh, you know, the libertarians on who, who like Gary more than Rand or Rand more than Gary tend to, you know, fight each other in the Facebook annals of Facebook groups that libertarians run around in. They tend to, you know, they they align 
very similarly on policy on 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 policy issues such as foreign policy, surveillance, uh, gun rights, um, states' rights, and we and we know that Rand Paul and Gary Johnson have had a contentious relationship with each other. You know, in 2015 and 2016, before uh, Rand Paul dropped out of the uh, out of the presidential election, uh, Gary Johnson went after Rand Paul for not being as libertarian as himself, and Rand Paul went after Gary Johnson for saying that he wasn't as libertarian as Gary Johnson. So to see the two, you know, come together in a in a ideological uh, sort of uh, partnership, it's a great thing for the liberty movement. So you know, the two two often contentious sides coming together to unite behind a candidate that has often uh, caused a lot of division in libertarian circles. Mm -hmm. And it's important for the the audience to recognize that, as you mentioned, it's it's not exactly been a rosy relationship between. Uh, Senator Paul and, and Governor Johnson, and, and as you allude to there back in the 2015-2016 the uh, lead up to the, the 2016 presidential election, definitely some contention there. Um, and, and I think it kind of goes to the greater point that we've had here, in, in, in especially in my show in the past few weeks, um, discussing what's the ultimate vision to help bring libertarian uh, or just liberty-oriented policies and principles into real physical action. Um, so two weeks ago, I had Alex Merced, the Libertarian National Committee Vice Chair, on to be a Libertarian representative. And then uh, last week, I had the, uh, the the chair of the Republican Liberty Caucus on my show. And really, it was to, to have this conversation to say, you know, what is the best vehicle to bring libertarian ideals forward? And, you know, each side gave their, their argument very strongly, but I, I would dare say that um, you know, the, the Republican side of things has been the actual, you know, unfortunately, at this point in time, the only means of actually seeing libertarian candidates get elected under the Republican name. Um, but that's okay. That's not necessarily a bad thing because the main goal should be to advance liberty. And now here we see uh, two candidates, uh, you know, obviously Rand Paul is already elected, but a candidate in Gary Johnson receiving his uh, endorsement from the Republican Party uh, representative in Rand Paul all on the idea of bringing these principles forward. So it's, it's, it's a pretty big deal. It is. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, libertarians have taken quite a beating in the past couple of years. Uh, you know, Gary Johnson didn't do as strongly as we hoped he would. Uh, Mark Sanford lost his race in South Carolina. And a lot of, and some of the libertarian candidates that ran a lot of, and almost every single libertarian candidate who ran under the Libertarian Party banner, uh, you know, usually loses. But we also lost some of our some, I wouldn't say our, because I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party, but we also, they also lost a couple of the, of their statewide, of their state seats that they held, such as Mark Madsen, I think was in Nevada, who lost, who lost his race in 2016. But the ideas of advancing liberty uh, should be that we shouldn't, we shouldn't just coalesce around one party, whether it's going the Republican way or going the Libertarian way, is that we should support Libertarian candidates wherever they pop up, whether they're independent, Libertarian, Democratic, or Republican. Agreed. And I think that's one thing it's important for people to look at how I've approached this. And, and I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but this is exactly why I have been so hard on the current chairman of the Libertarian uh, Party in Nicholas Sarwark. Now, for those of you who are not aware, I have had quite a beef with, with, with Chairman Sarwark um, because it just seems that his, his MO has been to toss the, these bombs at people who aren't 
the the one hundred percent Puritan libertarian, um, and, and it's it's ironic in timing. Literally a week ago, um, Chairman Sarwark uh, responded to an article um, that was posted by the Weekly Standard referring to Rand Paul as a libertarian in terms of how he was approaching Russia in foreign policy, and and Nick said in a, in a snarky tweet, "Why do people always confuse uh, Rand Paul?" Uh, with the libertarians when he's a republican and and i get the point he's the chair of the libertarian party he's supposed to promote big l libertarian candidates but i don't i and i say this you know looking back in 2020 vision i i said you know nick it doesn't make sense to toss these bombs at allies or at the very least potential allies and yet here you are the chair of the third largest party going after a, a sitting U.S. senator who is easily the most libertarian-leaning representative we have in federal office in the Senate, it doesn't make sense to try and, and do this when you're, you should be building building bridges and not tossing bombs. And then here Rand, literally a week later, almost to the day, goes out of his way and endorses Gary Johnson. I just... If it, I know for a fact that Nick's not going to spend time listening to another libertarian podcast, but hey, I had his vice chair on, one can dream. But it's that very instance right there. That's why it's so important not to just try and, and attack anybody out there who isn't of the 100% libertarian ilk. It just it drives me mad, and it's part of the reason I haven't taken the step to join the libertarian party as a whole. So, I mean, I've... I've spent the past two weeks going through the RLC versus Libertarian Party. What's the best vehicle? Um, I don't want to rehash my thoughts on it. I've, I've made my opinions very clear. Um, but Elias, maybe you can give us kind of what's your perspective as a you know a third party? You yourself, you're not a member of the Big L Libertarian Party, so maybe you can have a little bit more of an objective view as to this this schism that has, seems to have been uh, created. So. Uh... Nicholas Sarwark, you know, obviously has to protect the Libertarian Party because he's the chairman of the Libertarian Party, just like you mentioned. Uh, but I don't think uh, the Republican Liberty Caucus and the Libertarian Party should be trading shots at each other, you know, in regards to their candidates. Because, face it or not, I mean, they're both they're both liber they're both libertarian, or at least in the I don't know about uh, the Republican Liberty Caucus is at least extremely libertarian leaning. And really quick, I'll say so. Alex Snickter, he's the uh, the the I think he's the chair of the RLC. He actually was in the Libertarian Party for, I think he said it was eight years. Um, and he left just because he couldn't he couldn't look at the Libertarian Party as a, a realistic means of actually advancing liberty, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of the RLC is actually, it's, it's absorbed a lot of big L Libertarians who were dis disinfected by the way the LP was going. Just, just for some, some setting the stage there. So, yeah, I understand, you know, like, Libertarian Party is obviously a smaller party, and, you know, smaller parties tend to coalesce around purity. You know, you don't see uh, centrists in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Green Party. You don't see Libertarians in the – you don't see a lot of Libertarians in the Constitution Party. Uh, and the Libertarian Party has to, you know, has to deal with, you know, the, the left-wing socialist caucuses that, that have sprung up in the recent years, the Mises Caucus, you know, the middle-of-the-road – Gary Johnson, Bill Weld, Libertarians, uh, you know, they're trying and they're trying to deal and they're trying to find their identity uh, outside of their party platform. Uh, with me, uh, the reason I haven't joined the Libertarian Party is precisely because, you know, 
there's a lot of positions I've taken in the last couple of years that aren't libertarian. And I don't want to be uh, accused of not being a purely ideological libertarian in the in this, you know, I'm not I'm no Rothbard, I'm no Mises. Uh, and that's okay. <laughs> and you know, that's okay. And the thing but the thing with the Republican Party, why I haven't joined the Republican Party, why I, I used to be a Republican and I left it, is because even though some of the steps that they've made are libertarian are libertarian uh, oriented, such as, you know, deregulation, uh, tax cuts, those kind of deals. This deal towards you know demonizing immigrants, uh, whether they're illegal or legal. Uh, Jeff Sessions being Attorney General. I don't like the pathway that the, liber- the the Republican Party is going, which is why I've decided to remain as a as an independent, as someone who who tries to look at you know whoever's running, whether it's Republican or Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, and to vote for the best candidate that's not based on party trends, but on who I feel is the best candidate for that job. And so I understand. Mm. So uh, for me, I don't have a lot of ill will towards uh, Nicholas Sarwark. I think he's uh, he has a tough job considering that he has to wrangle all these different factions within the Libertarian Party. Uh, he has to deal with the fact that the that when people perceive libertarians, they don't think of Nicholas Sarwark. They don't think of uh, Alex Merced. They think of Rand Paul, Ron Paul. Even some people might. Even think Ted Cruz is a libertarian, even though he's taken a lot of anti-libertarian uh, uh, positions in the last couple years. Right. So I, I I sympathize with Sarwark, and I think he, and I think he has a tough job. But at the same time, I don't think he should be going around attacking, like you said, attacking the only libertarian-leaning individuals we have in the Senate who have done more to advance the libertarian movement than the Libertarian Party has. Exactly. And I think the the best way to frame it is yes. Nick Sarwark, you have an incredibly difficult job. Stop making it harder on yourself. It just seems it's every issue that's happened is some stupid, self-inflicted wound that could be so easily avoided. But um, I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse with here. I just wanted to hear your perspective. Obviously, um, you know, being in in the weeds and, and in the thick of things in the libertarian movement. But let's move forward, because uh, Elias, you. You specialize in foreign policy, and I think it's important to, to get some some perspective from a libertarian angle. Give me kind of uh, we'll start off. You're talking about our, our dear president there, Donald J. Trump. Um, Donald Trump's been president now for just uh, just about two years, and I wanted to hear your perspective in terms of how Donald Trump has approached foreign policy, both objectively based on what he's done, but then also from a a skewed libertarian grade. Um, with regards to his overall interactions on foreign policy? So uh, for me, uh, objectively, he's done, uh, it's, it's really hard to say because he's so bombastic, you know, like he, he, he doesn't, like the only people who he cares to be uh, friendly towards, you know, like in words and in actions, not, in, not necessarily in actions, but in words is like swords Putin or Kim Jong-un or, uh, Z, or uh, the president or the, or the Chinese president, uh, Jinping, I, I, I'm Something probably like butchered yeah. his name, uh, and so it's you know, but he his uh, so I, I wrote an article for for Mustang News about this like four months ago, three months ago before the whole uh, before the the beginning of the beginning before the climax of the trade wars with Europe, uh, the continuing escalating trade disputes with China. And the breakdowns of the of denuclearization with North Korea in the, over the past couple of weeks, and I essentially said he's done some good. Obviously, uh, 
ISIS is no longer as big a problem as it was in 2016. Uh, our NATO allies are now pledging to spend more money uh, on their own defense without relying on the United States as much. Uh, the peace talks towards North Korea was a good was a good step for to, in, the, in, the, in the was a good step in the right direction. But his trade wars, his uh, escalation of actions in uh, in Syria, despite his promise to you know remove troops from Syria. Uh, his canceling of the Iran deal and and his uh, continued uh, disputes with pretty much every ally we have uh, is why he he's not very uh, well liked. So, so I'm curious now to hear your perspective because the Iran deal, I mean, I it, this might be my ignorance because I don't even pretend to be a foreign policy expert, but. I know one of the biggest complaints about the Iran deal from a right-wing conservative standpoint was that it was basically the Obama administration trying to buy off the leadership of Iran by, I mean, there's that whole uh, instance of sending quite literally a pallet full of unmarked bills. Um, it, you know, I forget the, the dollar amount, but it was in the billions of dollars. Um, and it wasn't really any diplomacy. It was appeasement, if you will, just trying to keep things at the status quo at the very least. Am, am I reading that wrong? Or maybe you can give a little bit more perspective to that. So uh, the Obama administration obviously had sort, not really bent over backwards, but has done much to uh, open up to Iran. And, you know, obviously the unmarked bills, the 400, I think it was $400 million that they sent to Iran or the or ignoring uh, Hezbollah's, uh, I think it was either drug trafficking or some, it was some sort of trafficking scheme that that political, I think it was a political article or and a political uh, reporter who basically uncovered that the Obama administration was ignoring Hezbollah and uh, and and crimes that they were committing in order to appease Iran. Uh, but uh, I, I actually take I actually take the Rand Paul uh, perspective on this one. Uh, the, it's, it wasn't a perfect deal. It, was, it might not even have been a great deal, but it was a deal that that made it easier 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 for the United States to deal with Iran. And and withdrawing from that deal, especially when the European unilaterally withdrawing from that deal, especially after you know years of of negotiation that had that we, that we brought in that we had to do. You know, we had to bring in. Our, our European allies. We had to bring in China. We had to bring in Russia just to just to crack out this deal and just to unilaterally uh, withdraw from it and then say that we're just going to place sanctions on Iran. Unilaterally is is a very uh, I think it was a very foolhardy foolhardy thing to do because we have to start from scratch essentially. So and as I was gonna say, I think it's important for people to understand that there is a lot of moving pieces here. There is, and I, th I think it's also important to note that there's going to be no perfect answer to any foreign policy um, situation. I mean, quite literally, foreign policy is a game, honestly. It's like, you know, it's it's a little bit of calculus, you know, who's going to move where, um, you know, what will help in encourage uh, international relations here and there with economics and, and military intervention. Um, and speaking of military intervention, I did want to, because we're getting around to like the seven-minute mark here uh, before we hit around the 30-minute mark. So, I want to, to open the floor here and kind of allow you to start your real uh, bread and butter, which is the, the Kurdish independence movement, because that seems to be 
really something that's not being talked about, and I think it deserves to be talked about. So to start off, if you could kind of set the stage, the Kurdish independence with it, and give my audience a little bit of perspective as to uh, you know where where things are coming from at the onset. So the last year, the Kurds, uh, specifically, and so uh, the Kurds are, are are an ethnic minority across the Middle East. They're located in Turkey, Syria, Iran, Iraq, uh, and another and and other places. But it's where they're mainly concentrated in is that is that is that region, and uh, they're the largest minor, They're the largest ethnic uh, group that doesn't have a state. They're they're essentially stateless. Uh, you know, you know, the Turks have Turkey. The Iranians have Iran. All you know, the Kurds don't have a Kurdistan, and so uh, in 2014, when the uh, when ISIS you know became this giant threat, you know they overran Mosul, which is the second second largest city in in Iraq, uh, and they essentially and they were committing uh, genocide against the Yazidis. It was the Kurds who stepped in and uh, filled that gap that the Iraqi military left, and uh, which and that's why you know President Obama launched Operation. Resolve, which was this uh, military intervention against ISIS, leading to the, uh, you know, the current military actions we have in in Syria and in uh, and in Iraq. And so the Kurds, you know, they were working with they were working with uh, the United States, Iraq, uh, other coalition countries such as Germany and France and England in order to face ISIS. But uh, the Kurds have always wanted their own state. And so what Iraqi Kurdistan did is that they set a re- an independence referendum, which essentially meant that uh, their people would vote on uh, whether or not the Kurds would the Kurds would uh, pursue uh, independence, you know, as a national goal. And 92% of Kurds, uh, 92, 93%, uh, not 92, 93% of Kurds said they wanted to uh, they wanted to be an independent uh, independent nation. That was free from uh, the oversight of the of the Iraqi government, and that resulted in the Kurds losing a lot of uh, these disputed territories, territories that they say should belong to them, but the Iraqi say uh, the Iraqi government says uh, they should belong to Iraq. And so, like a city such as Kirkuk, which is a historically ethnic uh, Kurdish city that the Kurds overtook uh, in 2014 after the Iraqi government left, or the Iraqi government was uh, was you know was fumbling under the under ISIS's advance, and Iraqi government took Kirkuk back. They cut off flights to uh, the Kurdish to the Kurdish capital for 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 a little bit, and the United States uh, even stopped uh, funding them for for I think I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think they stopped funding them for a short amount of time before before they re uh, before they started sending those payments again, and so the Kurds uh, are are still stateless. Uh, and they no longer, you know, they no longer have the strength to uh, pursue another independence referendum without huge political consequences. It might be my ignorance again, but this sounds eerily similar to what's being faced in uh, the the Gaza Strip with the the Palestinians. Is is it? And that's in reference to the the Israelis um, with the state of Israel, and then the the drive to have this Palestinian state. And obviously, the Palestinian state is under the the goal to take over the Holy Land, which is you know basically the the current state of Israel. Um, it, am, am I wrong in saying it, it is kind of similar, though, in terms of how it currently is with regards to the Kurds and the Palestinians not having their own, if you will, air quote, homeland? Uh, 
I would say they're, they're, they're similar in the circumstance, but in the background, it's not. Uh, the Palestinians have the support of the most, most of the Arab world. Uh, you know, they have support from Saudi Arabia, Jordan, like all, all these different states uh, want Palestine, want, want a two-state solution at the very least, if not uh, Israel being, uh, not being a state anymore. But the Kurds are opposed by almost every, are opposed by about every single state in the Middle East, with the, with, with the exception of some, Isra uh, some Israelis want the United States or want want the Kurds to have their own state and the United States, uh, some Senate, you know, like Senator Rand Paul, for instance, supports the, supports the Kurdish uh, homeland. Yeah, speak to that. So Rand Paul, obviously, the like we mentioned before, one of the most libertarian representatives we have in Congress supports this. Can you kind of give the framework as to what it has led to Rand Paul supporting this and why a libertarian should should you know, support the Kurds and and really care about this issue, even though it's quite literally across the opposite side of the earth? So uh, Rand Paul, uh, the reason he supports it is because he believes that the Kurds deserve their own homeland for fighting ISIS, uh, for being, the, the Kurds are known for being a very tolerant people. Uh, they're very pro-United pro States. Uh, they, they helped us. We've been allies with them since, since, the, uh, since the 90s, and they've faced constant, they've been facing constant uh, threats from, from the government, from, from governments all over the Middle East, whether it's Turkey, with the, uh, with, the, with the PKK, which is a Kurdish, uh, a very leftist Kurdish uh, group that's been called, that's, that are labeled by terrorists, by the Turkish government and by the U.S. government, or it's the YPG, which is the People's Protection Units in, in northern Syria, or it's the, the, Kurd the Kurdish regional government, which is Iraqi Kurdistan, or the Kurdish minorities in Iran. And Rand Paul, uh, if I'm not wrong about this, believes that they... They essentially deserve their own state because they have they they've suffered a lot. They fought ISIS and other terrorists, and uh, he and he would guarantee them a homeland if he. If that's what he said when he was running for president. So, what's the libertarian perspective on this? I mean, you you obviously are a a self-identified libertarian. Is Senator Paul right in his um, you know pushing for a a Kurdish state or? Or just maybe something that the United States shouldn't be involved in. So, uh, I wrote, I, I alluded to this before, but I wrote an article about this uh, for the Daily Caller. It was a, uh, it was, it was a long form uh, journalistic piece. So I didn't put my uh, opinion out there, and I'm not going to put my opinion out there right now because I'm still, cause even, even though I'm, I, I would say I, I'm a bit more informed than you know the general po general populace about this. I don't know enough to form put a, uh, a policy position on this. But Ted Harbinger, who's a uh, senior defense fellow at the Cato Institute, uh, he, he told me that Washington cannot, you know, that the United States cannot support in Kurdish independence because it would upset a, a, the region even more. You know, when uh, the Kurds did their, uh, did their independence movement, uh, did their independence referendum, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, they all said, you know, we don't want, we don't want we don't want an independent Kurdish Kurdish nation, and so the United States uh, United States essentially abandoned the Kurds, uh, and 
and it's because the Kurds don't have enough strength to to establish an independent nation, whether it's in Iran, either it's in Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Syria. And so what Carpenter said is that he can sympathize with the Kurds. You know, obviously, I, I do sympathize with them. You know, having, they don't have their own homeland. They've been kicked around literally for, for decades by the different governments of, of the United States. But he said that we, we can't, uh, the United States cannot support them because it would, ups, it would just upset the region even more. And so a libertarian perspective would be you can sympathize with the Kurds and you can try to convince the other governments to allow them to have their own homeland. But you can't uh, say that we're going to support a Kurdish independent, a Kurdish homeland uh, unilaterally. Okay, gotcha. And I mean, obviously, there's <laughs> there's a lot more to get into the weeds um, with with the whole Kurdish independence movement. Um, and obviously, you met you uh, mentioned it here that, that you actually wrote a, a very well succinct article over at the Daily Caller. Um, titled The Kurds Are Armed, Attracting Investments and Stateless, So What's Next? And uh, I'll put the uh, the link in the uh, the show notes there, but is there anything you want to conclude uh, to discuss about the, the Kurdish independence movement that maybe you didn't get the chance to discuss? So uh, what's next for the Kurdish independence movement is that they're going to, they're essentially going to be licking their wounds. Uh, for, for the meantime, uh, they're going to focus on working with the current Iraqi government to ensure that they do have a voice in in, in the Iraqi national government, and they're and they're pushing uh, for for the Iraqi government to you know to give them more autonomy and other stuff, and they're looking for more investment in into uh, into into the Kurdish region so that they can become more economically independent from uh, the Iraqi national government. So uh, right now it's just a, it's just the status quo and. Uh, it's I, we don't know when the, the question of Kurdish independence is going to be answered, and hopefully it won't lead whatever whatever happens. It won't lead to you know the further in, leads to further instability in the region. Makes sense. All right, sir. Well, listen, Elias, I, I really do appreciate taking the time to uh, to hop in the show. And obviously, you and I have been going back and forth for quite a bit, trying to, to get this set up, even back to the good old days when I was uh, doing the Around the Republic podcast over at the Libertarian Republic. But uh, I'm so glad we were able to get you on, especially before you uh, you swing out of uh, out of the East Coast all the way back to sunny Southern California. So uh, with that being said, um, I want my audience to be able to find you on social media and, and you know track all the good work you're doing and and definitely look ahead to some future endeavors. So where can my audience go ahead and find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Elias underscore Atienza. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Elias Atienza. It, I, have a pay, I have a Facebook page. Don't, don't click on the profile. Uh, don't <laughs> click on the profile page uh, uh, unless, unless you know me. And if you do know me, I, I, I would ask that you send me a friend request. I'm always looking to uh, connect with the uh, uh, other libertarians that, I, that I've gotten a chance to know. Uh, you can also find uh, you can also find me on, on Mustang News uh, must at some mustangnews.net. Uh, it's it's mostly stuff related to Cal Poly, but you'll sometimes see me uh, talk about libertarian related issues uh, on it. So if you're if you're ever looking for uh, a college a college libertarian uh, perspective, uh, I'm your I'm your boy. <laughs> So we like to hear. Well, listen, Elias, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. 
Um, and, and folks, I mean, Elias is just getting started. You know, he's just getting ready to graduate college. And he's already got writings from The Blaze, Red Alert Politics, Washington Examiner, IJR, Daily Caller, and, of course, the Libertarian Republic. So, uh, you know, keep an eye on Elias. He's got a lot of great things coming down the pike. Uh, but, Elias, thank you so much for taking the, your, your last day here on the East Coast to join me on the Brian Nichols Show and really inform us about the, uh, the I think, the, definitely the foreign policy thing that a lot of people don't necessarily know is happening because it's not the sexy thing to talk about nowadays with uh, Trump collusion and Stormy Daniels and you know whoever else is, is banging the president, evidently. But uh, with that being said, <laughs> Elias, thank you so much, man, for joining me on the Brian Nichols Show. And ladies and gentlemen... If you enjoyed today's show, please share with your friends and family. And as always, follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty, both on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you're interested in making a one-time donation to the Brian Nichols Show, uh, feel free to PayPal me, and you can use the email, uh, the Brian Nichols Show at gmail.com. Any little bit definitely helps us to be able to keep on producing this content that you enjoy and to learn about things like the Kurdish independence movement. So, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Nichols signing off for uh, Elias Atienza. It's Brian Nichols and the Brian Nichols Show. We'll see you next week.